0: Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Little Tokyo, Los Angeles is one of three remaining historic Japantowns in the United States and it is fighting for its survival. This episode is a conversation with Scott Oshima of the Japanese American Cultural and Community Center, one of a coalition of organizations that are collaborating against the forces of displacement and cultural erasure. Although we're talking about a specific neighborhood, Oshima hits on some universal themes when they talk about the role of joy and celebration and art in the long and arduous work of community organizing. We caught up with them at the 2019 Pacific Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit in Los Angeles in June. So, hi. Hello. (laughs) How does the Japanese American Cultural and Community Center use art to recenter the voices of marginalized communities?
1: Sure. So some um, of how I might answer that question is with the history of the organization. So, JACCC, or the Japanese American Cultural and Community Center Center, was actually built because we, uh, the community was in the middle of a pretty massive uh, wave of redevelopment and displacement, and we were losing a lot of our cultural and community spaces. There was a lot of neighborhood concern that our temples, which were sort of, used to be sort of the center, community centers and cultural centers, maybe would not be able to survive the the redevelopment, and that these cultural groups and practices might be erased. and so. Back in the 70s and 80s, it was really a community, our community, organizing to create this institution as a way to anchor and have a permanent home for our culture and our community as a Japanese-American neighborhood. And that is part of why our name, as long-winded as it is, is so important to us, because it it really is intentional. We wanted it to be not a Japanese cultural center, but a Japanese American cultural center, and not just about culture and art, but also about community and community space. So we continued to, just in existing as an institution, hold down space for our Japanese American and Japanese arts and culture. So both traditional art. So we have things like, recently we had a a performance of Kyogen, which is a traditional kind of comedy theater, to things as contemporary and experimental as Tales of Clamor, that was a black box Theater performance experience with circus arts and projection and poetry—two uh, uh, things as 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 wild as uh, the Asian AF Festival, which is Asian American. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I feel like I can't say what AF stands
0: for, but well, <laughs> technically you could. It's not, it's, it's not radio, but that's okay. Sure. What I
1: mean. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, well, actually, but the the name itself is Asian AF, so. <laughs> um, but yes, the Asian AF Festival, which is, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander comedy. And so we are a hub for all of this art and culture and not, you know, not just Japanese American arts and culture, although that is, you know, our primary focus, but also the many, many different diverse communities that have, that consider our center home and a space for them to grow and be supported and showcase their work. And we have you know, festivals that are meant to you know, talk about the uh, Little little Tokyos at the intersections of many communities and historically has always been multi-ethnic. So you know we just had Fiesta Matsuri, which is a combination of the Mexican Dia de los Niños and the Japanese Kuromonohi. And so it's the the Japanese and Mexican uh, children's festival. Um, so bridging together. One of our Sustainable to Tokyo's biggest projects is Fandango Obon, which similarly is about reconnecting our Japanese, Mexican and African American communities around traditional circle dance and also around environmental practices that have always been rooted in our traditions. And so through all of this kind of work, we are really uplifting and being a home for all of these communities that are often overlooked or don't have space or don't have opportunity, and that we can really celebrate this this vibrant art and culture in our
0: center. I went to the social event last night at the Far Bar. Oh. And- <laughs> And and so is that in the neighborhood that we're talking about? Yes. yes. Yeah. Little Tokyo, right? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm still processing all of this because this is my first time to LA. Mm, Welcome. And and thank you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what to say except it wasn't what I expected. It was funky. You know, (laughs) it was just, it just felt like a really fun place.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we, I, I mean, I think Little Tokyo in particular is such a, it's, you know, it's really it's 150 acres approximately. It's like seven, it's like it's seven square blocks. Um, it's a small but incredibly dense neighborhood in terms of all of the amazing cultural spaces and you know cultural spaces meaning places like JACCC, but also like restaurants that have been around for 70 plus years. You know, little sweet shops that are 115 years old. You know. Arthur Nakane performing music in the Japanese village plaza like there's always so much just rich fun activity happening in the neighborhood Um, It's actually hard. It's hard to work in Little Tokyo because there's so much to do That Mm -hmm. like you you never want to (laughs) leave and then I just I just can't be at work all the time
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was that was gonna be my next question totally unscripted. (laughs) So What is working at the JACCC like on a typical day? When you walk into work, who's there? What's happening?
1: (laughs) So the first person that I see when I walk in is Marlene Lear. We call her Mar. Uh, Mar has actually been working at at JACCC for the longest. Um, She's been, I think she said about... Thirty-seven years. She's been working at JCCC. She's seen it from literally right after it was constructed to where it is today. Um, so that's part of the joy of what coming to work is to get to see Mar, who likes to tease me, um, and also laugh every time I forget my keys. Uh, but it is—it's we're very, very busy all the time. It takes a lot of work, and obviously, a lot. You have you know you. You need to really love the work that you do to be able to you know do the amount, the sheer amount of programs that we do. But yeah, we are you know we are a very tight knit staff. Um, we we all really get along and collaborate when we can. Working in Little Tokyo it is like working in a small town in a big city. In part because you know we're a major hub in the neighborhood. You know a lot of people, of course, are familiar and come to our events, so we are very visible. And then of course. With my work with Sustainable Little Tokyo, I am all around the community, and so I can't walk a block without running into somebody that I know, or a community member, or someone that I organize with, or the local business owner, or a resident that lives across the street. So it's really, it's, there's a sense of community and a sense of place that I uh, I don't think I had ever quite experienced in this way. And I grew up in LA and I grew up in the valley, but I never had this sense of community and neighborliness and care and uh, and this like sense of pride for being a part of this neighborhood even though I don't live there. so it's, it's I work there and I organize there but it's yeah it's really a really powerful personally really fulfilling experience Yeah,
0: yeah well you are part of the community being mm. like you, you know when you think about it, you might spend more of your waking hours in that neighborhood than you do in the neighborhood that you call home.
1: Oh, actually, yes. Now that I, I don't think I ever quite thought about it like that. But yes, that is probably true. I'm in Little Tokyo most of my waking hours, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I is a privilege. <laughs> yeah.
0: So tell me a little bit about the My FSN campaign. What is the threat to control of the First Street North Block and what are the arts-based strategies being employed in the campaign?
1: So the campaign is a part of our community initiative called Sustainable Little Tokyo. So just to kind of take a couple steps back, JCCC is one of three organizational leads on an initiative called Sustainable Little Tokyo, which is a group of organizations and hundreds of community members who love Little Tokyo, um, who came up with a vision for the future of the neighborhood that maintains our history and roots as one of Three remaining historic Japantowns left in the entire nation and so that one of the primary strategies that the community decided was to focus on public land so there are three remaining pieces of public land left in the neighborhood and as the public as the community we feel like we should have some say and some control over that land and over what is built and developed on that land and so we you know. Putting all of that into the context of how much has already been taken from the neighborhood, that we are only a quarter of the size that we were historically because of multiple waves of displacement and redevelopment from World War II incarceration, Japanese American incarceration camps to the eminent domain and destruction of two blocks for the Civic Center expansion in the 50s um, to the massive redevelopment in the 70s and 80s, that we are, we are fighting to hold on to what we have and so the my fsn campaign is about one of those pieces of public land Um, fsn stands for first street north Um, that is a block that a lot of people if you've come to little Tokyo, know is the block where the japanese american national museum is where mocha geffen is um, where daikokuya fugetsudo our oldest operating business um, and all the historic district it is that same block that is owned by the city and will potentially be sold within the next couple years. And so we have a vision for what we want built on that block, uh, which is affordable housing, affordable commercial space, community and, and uh, cult- uh, community and cultural space um, to expand what is already in the neighborhood and anchor our history and culture, similar to what JCCC has done for us today. So really continuing to use the same strategy. And so we need to build obviously, a movement and, um, and support. So we do a lot of different creative projects and programs so that people just learn about what's happening in Little Tokyo generally, but also learn about specific fights for specific land, like First Street North. And so we... Um, launched the My FSN campaign a couple years ago. It fully launched as a formal campaign last year with a petition. But the m- most important piece of that was arts and cultural programs. So we created a committee of volunteer artists that we call the Arts Action Committee, and they are a volunteer group of about twelve core local artists um, who really love Little Tokyo, and they together came up with creative projects that um, support and kind of uplift the arts and culture of our community as a Japanese-American, but also multi-ethnic neighborhood, uh, that bring our community together um, just to have fun and, uh, and, and have a reminder of what we're fighting for. Because art is often a, an expression of culture and it makes tangible, you know, what, what, makes, what actually makes a community. And then, of course, you know, it it builds awareness about uh, displacement, about gentrification, and about the need to control land in the neighborhood. And our dreams for the future of the community. That's a lot of... Uh,
0: (laughs) I was
1: like, I can just just keep going.
0: Wow. So, can you tell me about the Great Fruit tree?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Is, is that part of the strategy?
1: <laughs> yes, it is.
0: Okay, okay. all right.
1: <laughs> um, I, I feel like sometimes as when you dig into any community organizing, any anti-displacement work, any creative placemaking or placekeeping work, you'll find parties as a part of it <laughs> in some way shape or form uh, but there are three historic trees in little tokyo the only one is actually uh, actually historically designated it's the aoyama tree which was planted by the koyasan buddhist temple priest about a hundred years ago and that temple um, that original location is demolished um, so it stands now it's incredibly tall it's i think maybe three or four stories tall um, that's one of the trees and the other two are grapefruit trees that are about 150 years old. Um, Little Tokyo is 135 years old, it's the second oldest neighborhood in LA. But prior to becoming Little Tokyo, it was, um, of course, it was and continues to be Tongvo Native American land, but in the late 1800s it was uh, citrus groves. And so those, these grapefruit trees are remnants of the Wolfskill Orchard and Wolfskill popularized uh, citrus growing in California. So these trees are, one, have witnessed the entire history of Little Tokyo and more. And and one of these trees was supposed to be cut down as a part of the redevelopment um, during the 80s and the neighborhood said no this tree has se- literally <laughs> this tree has lived through our, ent- our entire history as a Japantown so you can't just cut that down so um, our community JACCC the Southern California Gardeners Federation actually helped to move the tree to save it and now it, it now it lives in our plaza the JACCC plaza and we Uh, Actually, my coworker named the tree, and it stuck as Sunny the grapefruit tree. Um, (laughs) And then um, Sunny's a little scraggly, but continues to bear fruit. Um, And so, yes, it's... (laughs) And bear fruit that is unlike any grapefruit that you have ever tasted. It is so sour that the only thing... um, That the only thing that we could think to do with that fruit was to juice it and make cocktails. And so... (laughs) um, (laughs) So this was a dream project of our former president Leslie Ito, who was like, "Wouldn't it be amazing if we made cocktails out of the grapefruit?" So now we are coming up on our, our fifth anniversary, um, working in, in collaboration with a local bar, very very community centered community um, serving, at a community oriented um, bar called Wolf and Crane, and they created this signature little Tokyo can only the only place in the world you can get a cocktail called the 1884, which is. Our, considered the the beginning of Little Tokyo, eighteen eighty four, and we have it yeah every year first Tuesday of April. Um, and in addition to the co- historic cocktail night, uh, so it's the annual great annual historic grapefruit cocktail night um, for the very first year, and for this upcoming fifth anniversary, uh, we collaborate with our master artist in residence Hidokazu Kosaka to um, do traditional ceremony for the trees so doing uh, three different traditional arts so calligraphy tea ceremony and ikebana to honor the trees um, and celebrate them so and in addition to having a fun party and having a cocktail made of 150 years of history we also are going to re uh, redo again this uh, traditional arts program for the fifth year next in 2020.
0: So I don't know what Ikebana is. Can you tell me what that is? Sure.
1: Uh, Ikebana is a traditional flower arrangement art. um, And we work with many different regional Ikebana schools in and around Los Angeles um, to showcase this incredible art at the JACCC. And then, yes, it will be a component of the tree ceremony.
0: Mm -hmm. So how do you measure success of an effort like this? (laughs) I was like,
1: oh, (laughs) that is a tough question. (laughs) Um, So there, I mean, there are many different... I think there are many different kinds of success, of course. Um, So, of course, the the biggest goal, and that's a very long-term goal, is to actualize the sustainable Little Tokyo community vision, right? So the development of those three pieces of land as we have, as a community, as we have envisioned. Um, so that would be the long-term goal is, yes, this, the control and, and development of land by and for the community. Uh, but that is a far way in the future, even if we are able to win um, and get a lot of, what we want on that land um, in the next couple of years it will be another many years before actually that is built and it's usable um, so that is a very long-term goal but we you know are aiming for success and i think that you know because it is a long way out and because it's somewhat abstract where right? we're talking about built spaces that don't exist yet that we have to have smaller wins and smaller successes and so that is like part of the joy of arts and culture and, and working with artists is that I mean sometimes the win is just people came out and danced in a circle with us and, and that we've been doing it for years, we're coming up on the seventh year of Fandango Obon that bringing together a community and celebrating together is a success and it doesn't even matter the number of people who come, it's about the meaningful experience of being together and, and, and dancing and listening to music and meeting one another and then there are other smaller, you know, smaller wins that the community is always fighting for. If we can, you know, gain improvements in our neighborhood, like there's an alleyway that we've been fighting to have permanent improvements on because it's so historically important to the community. As uh, it's called Azusa Street, uh, which is former Biddy Mason land, it is the birthplace of the Azusa Street Mission, which is considered the the birthplace of the Pentecostal faith, and we wanted to see it as a functional public space. And so we now, through art activations and pop-ups, are are working to get those permanent improvements um, soon. And so those are, you know, there are many different kinds of wins. But I would say, you know, for me personally and for the community, often it is really just coming together because of art um, and and participating or witnessing or just relishing and enjoying that that is a big success when we are you know we are faced with so many different community issues constantly that those reminders of what matters and what we're fighting for are what will keep us going
0: hmm mm-hmm. Do you call that tactical urbanism? Are you familiar with that term?
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and we I think we did use that language, especially for the like the the art activations and the pop-ups that we did around Azusa Street. Uh, but typically, I mean, you know, we we love you know new words to help better name the work that we do. But even the language of like place making and place keeping, you know, we we see as oh that. That that is that what you call it? We're like, oh, we've been doing that for mm-hmm. decades. You know, for a hundred and thirty years. Like we we built this community, and we have been working to keep it for a very long time. And 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 part of that strategy is through arts and culture. Part of that strategy is through. You know, building permanent space, and it's like, oh, actually, oh, now there's like a name, a name for it that people understand, and it, it's like both like it's both kind of funny because we're like, oh, that's do we want to use that language? But then it's also like, oh, it's great because now people now we can just say, oh, placekeeping, and people will know what that means, <laughs> like know what we've been fighting for. But it, but like, you know, in that line for us with sustainable Little Tokyo, some of the language that we have liked to use, and our logo is Motainai, which. In Japanese, roughly translates to like "don't waste" or you know, or "such a waste" or just "don't waste." That that uh, many people, many Japanese and Japanese Americans have heard from like their grandmas telling them like not to throw that away. But actually, I never heard that. <laughs> so I've, I was actually like, "What? No one's ever said that to me." <laughs> but but um, it's this principle of you know really appreciating and valuing what you have and to not waste what well, you don't need to it's about you know it, it's about respecting yourself the environment your community and doing the work the, the and the vigilance um, to continue to protect and nurture your community um and we, we take that as you know not just in terms of trash but in terms of a whole neighborhood and a whole culture and a history another word that we've just recently, I've been really loving and talking about, which two of the artists that we've been working with kind of introduced as like, Oh, what do we think about this word? It's a Japanese word, ibasho, which literally translates to the place where you are or the place where you sit. Um, but it can kind of be interpreted as the place where you feel belonging. Mm-hmm. and. I think with the language of placekeeping and placemaking, we're like, well, it's not about places, it's about people, it's about community, and that, that includes places. But I think the word show brings in that, um, that kind of personal experience, and it brings in the humanity and the, the, the individual part of a neighborhood that I think is left out of some of the language. Um, and that, yeah, that, that is what we are fighting for, is that sense of belonging, that sense of home, even if you don't literally live there, and that it's worth protecting.
0: We just came out of a set, one of the three breakout sessions that you're involved with at this, <laughs> yes. at this uh, summit. Thank you very much, we really appreciate it. <laughs> yes. um, and it was about cultural asset mapping, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of dry, but when you described it, it sounded like so much fun <laughs> and, and I wonder if you could tell our listeners about why you do that and how you do it.
1: Sure <laughs> yeah so um, we there we have done two different forms of what's called community or cultural asset mapping uh, that is a term that I didn't even really know until recently and that we had to kind of Learn to unpack and understand what that even meant, and what it what it meant to us is that the community actually gets to identify what matters to the neighborhood, and that that can include both buildings and spaces, uh, you know, big museums like JACCc, but it can also include the intangible, um, the non physical things. So cultural groups like Fujimakansumakai, which is a traditional dance troupe um, that you know they don't have a space. Um, it is It could be memories of these important businesses um, and especially memories of places that no longer exist. So asset mapping is a way that we can look at a community as something that has treasures, that already has incredible things that need to be nurtured and sustained and protected. Um, instead of looking at Looking at a community as okay, what do you need? Do you what kind of what kinds of services? What kind of spaces do you need? Um, that it really flips the conversation. So that's kind of what we found is part of the beauty of this idea of asset mapping. But we instead use the language of treasures, right? So we are on a treasure hunt. <laughs> um, we created a project um, that was a collaboration between Little Tokyo Service Center and its Plus Lab project and Sustainable Little Tokyo and obviously the coalition to initiate a more creative asset mapping. Um, Back when we did the original Sustainable Little Tokyo community vision, the development vision, it was a very traditional asset mapping. It it ended up producing a map that was like, oh, here are all the important institutions and legacy businesses, but it didn't capture all the more intangible things. And it also, you know, we weren't able to get Everyone's voice at the table, and so Takachizu, this project, this asset mapping project, used a really creative and fun framework to collect these treasures, and it was literally show and tell, right? So it was the format of show and tell, and so we partnered with uh, many organizations and community groups to make sure that we could reach uh, as many people as we could, especially folks that were left out of the original visioning process and people who are often left out of all city planning and community planning processes so you know people like our senior residents many of whom are monolingual japanese speakers and monolingual korean and spanish speakers that we created these fun events uh, themed around something like food or gardening uh, where people could just come and show and tell and share a story or bring a photo or bring an object and and then we documented those objects and added it into this growing archive of community treasures that then help to tell the story of our neighborhood in a really beautiful way and help us identify you know what are those assets what matters um, where are gaps that we haven't seen before like we learned new things like oh there's a need for like we need to like there are so many cultural groups that don't have space they need we need more community art space, accessible art spaces. There are so many gardeners and they need more support. Let's do some programs like Bokashi Club, a composting club uh, to support the local home growers and gardeners. Um, But it also informs our revision of the community vision. So the revision of the vision. (laughs) But all these things are being incorporated into the longer term plan of then how do we make, how do we Actually, protect these assets and make spaces, physical built spaces, to continue to nurture all of these treasures um, and help them grow and expand. Uh, Not just, right. So it's not an archive that's just like preserving things in amber. Um, It's actually a living community that wants to grow.
0: What was the most surprising treasure that you found?
1: I mean, this, I have a couple of favorites, but actually, I, don't know, I mean, actually, I think one of the surprising things um, were two bricks. <laughs> there, were, there were two bricks that were submitted. Uh, actually, I take that back. There were, there were three bricks.
0: <laughs>
1: um, and, and I would have, you know, th- those are the kind of objects. So I actually shared one of those bricks in, my, in, in this uh, session. Um, but those are things that you know. I'm like, what? Like, what is a, br- a brick <laughs> um, doing? This, you know, as a treasure? But it's like, actually, yeah. Um, one of those bricks is a-, a brick that fell off of the Nishi Honganji Buddhist Temple, which is the first temple built in Little Tokyo. Um, and so, even though that temple is still in Little Tokyo, this person just really wanted a piece of it to have. You know, because that temple meant a lot to them and their family. Um, there is a brick from our plaza uh, right so there is there are people that that this place these literal places matter so much to them that they want a piece of it to always remember and you know also probably in uh, fear that these spaces could be lost or demolished uh, so that points to a lot of you know really powerful stories and lessons to be learned um, from these treasures and then Yeah, one of them is a uh, brick from a building that is no longer there. So it's from the uh, building that uh, Atomic Café was in. And Atomic Café was a post-war Japanese-American diner that when their daughter nancy took it over in the 80s she turned it into one of the main punk rock venues in la that was like a, a hub for not just the japanese american but the chicanx latinx punk rockers <laughs> um and that that building the that historic building was demolished to make way for the metro regional connector subway station and so there is a there's clearly a desire to hold on to that history, literally hold on to a piece of it so that we don't forget um, the folks that came before us and what we hope to be and continue to be in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did they, give you the bricks or, or did they just show it and say i'm i'm taking this home <laughs> yes, when we're yes. done
1: so, so no we did not keep the bricks <laughs> um although i um, although i hear metro has uh, the metro actually collected many of the bricks from atomic cafe because they're going to install some of those bricks in the station as a part of a interpretive display to honor that the history of atomic cafe uh but, but no no we We do not keep the treasures. Um, The Takachizu archive was a show-and-tell, and and then we had various kinds of recording stations. So we had a photo booth that was super, like, really, really DIY. It's all meant to be really unintimidating. Um, It was literally like a camera on a piece of white paper. (laughs) And uh, we had a a scanner to scan in photos and documents, and then we had, you know, a video and audio recording booth. um, And then and then forms where you could write out stories and write out information about your treasures. But no, we just, we documented, photographed, video recorded, audio recorded, and then of course the people were able to, all the communities is able to keep their treasures.
0: When I hear that, that's exciting to me as somebody who deals with audio mm. that, I imagine you're recording some of those monolingual, longtime residents' stories. Mm
1: yeah I believe there yeah I believe there are a couple of stories from from the residents. I don't know if all said I don't know if all the audio interviews are on the treasure like in the online treasure archive, but a lot of them were then translated or transcribed and, and then pieces of them are in in the archive but we have of course the whole thing you know? but yeah they're yeah beautiful stories that I yeah I just want to sit and listen to them all
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah I know the We don't like to talk about the product, but what is the product? And, and what does it mean?
1: Yeah, oh, sure. For, for Takachizu?
0: Yeah.
1: Sure. So uh, Takachizu now exists as um, an online archive that you can come and look through all of the treasures. Um, you can also submit and add to it. It's a growing archive. We actually continue to organize uh, show-and-tell gatherings to continue to add to that archive. But that archive is also meant to, you know, as its original goal, is meant to inform the community vision. And so we are specifically Um, beginning to plan a, as I mentioned, the revision of the vision, right? The, the, the update of the Sustainable Little Tokyo vision. Um, and we, that, we are doing intentional um, Takachisu gatherings as a way to just like have a fun way to start this com- restart this conversation in the update. So it exists as these fun events as well. There are also a series of four zines or mini magazines that you can download on, as PDFs. And we also printed out the first two issues. Um, they're really cheap to print and distribute. And they are curated based on themes that sort of ar- arose out of the treasure archive. One of them is the Ghosts of Little Tokyo, uh, that was released just before Halloween. <laughs> uh, that is both about you know ghost stories, but also about sort of the ghosts of what is no longer here, what has been displaced or what has been lost, and, and how we want to carry those stories, these ghost stories, forward. Um, and then... Actually, that's it. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> Is that it? It's, uh, yes. <laughs> so it exists as a, as a website, as zines, and then as ongoing um, show-and-tell gatherings.
0: And how can people find the website?
1: Oh, sure. The website is takachizu.org. It's T-A-K-A-C-H-I-Z-U um, dot org. And, oh, and of course, uh, the information and the stories and the treasures collected from this archive are now uh, being used as data and information for both the update to the community vision, but also is used as data for identifying our community assets and our uh, California Cultural District designation, um, so that people, whenever you know, they want to check out the cultural districts that, that our map now has some of. Those Takachizu, more intangible treasures like uh, like cultural groups that don't have actual spaces, uh, like festivals that only happen once a year, and then it, and then it's also contributed to the arts economic impact report that we just commissioned. Uh, we're currently finalizing that was yes, I, like actual more like hard data about the role of arts and culture in the neighborhood, and the Takachizu archive helped to inform that list of assets or a list of treasures in that report um, so that people can actually see now in this like very legitimate, very professional research document just how the sheer density of arts and culture in our neighborhood and how much it matters to our community but also the city and state. So these are all, you know, we're taking these stories, translating them into information, data and reports and things that will then be used as advocacy tools um, outward. Um, to our, our city officials, um, to the state, um, to the nation. So we're very excited about what Takachizu and what the work of Sustainable to Turkey and and i um, really looking forward to seeing how it continues to grow and transform.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this interview. I know you're working so hard <laughs> at the summit. Yes. <laughs> so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I really appreciate it. And I hope that I get onto the bus that's going to... <laughs> Tokyo but uh tomorrow but yes. I'm not sure that's gonna happen uh, <laughs> but we'll it. we'll see
1: of course <laughs> come by yeah, everyone is always welcome in Little Tokyo so come on by if you, if you can't make the session
0: maybe I'll take an, a lift over oh yes
1: you can take the dash a bus <laughs> it's a, about a 15 minute ride That's what I took to get here
0: <laughs> thank you thank you been listening to creative place produced by the national consortium for creative placemaking visit our show page at cpcommunities.org and follow us on social media at cpcommunities bye for now